You are Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Heat Nation. I'm David Ramil, the host of Locked On Heat, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Please make sure to follow the show if you haven't already, wherever you listen to podcasts to get the latest episodes. Thursdays on the Locked On NBA podcast, Jackson Gatlin and Matt Moore have game recaps and analysis of the biggest NBA headlines. Follow the Locked On NBA podcast today, wherever you get podcasts. Of course, you should always be doing that anyway, especially on Tuesdays when I'm on the show alongside my former Locked On Heat co-host, Wes Goldberg. But you already knew that. However, what you didn't know are some of the potential what-if scenarios throughout Miami Heat history. One of my favorite subjects. I love talking about these kinds of theoreticals. We can break down the minutiae of the 2021-22 NBA regular season lineup and everything else, and we can look at the depth chart, and we can you know, peruse all the G League players in the world and try to determine who will finally get that coveted 15th roster spot. But none of that really interests me half as much as looking at some of the biggest stories in a team or NBA history in general. I love NBA history, period. But when you start talking about what-if scenarios, oh boy, I really do enjoy that quite a bit. And listen, I think this Heat team in particular, this franchise has had so many pivotal moments that you could just look off. And and if you don't know, first and foremost, I've done this before. I used to do this with West quite a bit. Uh, but I know the inspiration for this show is something that we kind of have adopted around the league, but there is a new television show on Disney plus, which I highly recommend. Again, another part, another thing that I enjoy is also comic books and all sorts of geekdom and things of that sort. And there's a new TV show called what if that looks at different scenarios in Marvel cinematic universe history and says, well, what if something happened a little bit differently? What would change? How would that kind of spiral into a completely different reality and I think today's topic is one that really is very interesting to me because again if you're looking at pivotal moments in heat history perhaps one maybe not the greatest moment in heat history or the most pivotal but certainly up there and the question what if LeBron James never signed with Miami in 2010 it's July 8th 2010 eight o'clock eastern Everybody's gathered around their television sets in the living room or something along those lines, maybe in sports bars somewhere in Cleveland, as you're watching Jim Gray kind of beat around the bush a little bit. And there is LeBron James sitting in a, a Greenwich, Connecticut, uh, YMCA, Boys and Girls Club, I think, and, 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 you know, sweating, nervous, uncomfortable. And he finally says, for the upcoming season, I'm taking my talents to... Where exactly? And that's the, the the reality, right? This is the possibility. Now, there are other options. He doesn't take his talents to South Beach. He chooses to go elsewhere. By this point, Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh have already agreed. And look, there is there is some kind of rewriting here because there is the very realistic possibility, something that we'll never know or never get confirmation from. Dwayne has said publicly that he'd had no idea where LeBron was going to go. I think Chris had said that he was likely to go to my to wherever LeBron went. Had LeBron gone to Cleveland, he might have followed him there. Had LeBron gone to Chicago, he might have gone there. Remember, Chicago had salary cap space for up to two players. There was also the, the flirtation with the New York Knicks, although that seemed a little bit less likely. Maybe fourth in, in the kind of realistic options you know, for LeBron James and Chris Bosh and others. 
I don't know exactly how it would have played out. So I'm kind of fudging it a little bit here because you, you really have to. There's no way of knowing exactly how it would have played out otherwise. Let's assume that Chris and Dwayne both stay in Miami, and then that's the retooled roster. We didn't do it, but we kind of came close. Not the big three, but the big two. And, and that's an interesting scenario also to kind of delve into. Like, how would Miami fans have reacted to that keeping of Dwayne Wade and then the addition of Chris Bosh? Because it almost feels like even as much as we appreciated Chris later on down the road, certainly in 2014 when he resigned with Miami, and of course, uh, once he had his jersey retired, and then we kind of understand how important it was to get Chris, and we saw his personality. But in 2010, we had stars in our eyes. I think everybody was just looking at the the addition of LeBron James and coming here and we're going, oh my God, he got the number one player in the NBA to come here. Like he chose to come here. This isn't trading for Shaquille O'Neal in 2004. This isn't trading for Alonzo Mourning as he's nearing the peak of his abilities. This is the number one player in the NBA, in the world, and would remain so for many, many years, choosing to come to Miami. To that point, Chris almost becomes like an afterthought. Cold to say, difficult to admit, but I think that's the reality. Look, it's great to see him up there on the stage, but you've got your guy Dwayne already back there, and he's choosing to come back here. So, whew, I remember sweating it out when he took a second meeting with Chicago. I really thought he was this close to coming to the Chicago Bulls. I thought he was gone. I, if you had, if I had a podcast in 2010 in early July, and you had asked me what I thought Dwayne was going to do, I thought he was going to go home and take over the 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 legend of Michael Jordan, go back there. Like he eventually did six years later, although we kind of tend to forget about that sort of instance. And LeBron, you know, he was the best in the game. And then all of a sudden Chris has come along and it's like, yeah, okay, good, good, good. Another top 10 player. We'll take you. Sure. We did it. We celebrate that. But now this is a different reality. Now, now you kind of have to, you know, it's not, it's not fair to say, how do you accept just Chris Bosh, you know, because that's the meaning of him and the player he is, the Hall of Fame level player that he is. And it, unfortunately, that's something that we'd have to adjust. It, it kind of would be a little bit tepid, the response, right? Certainly no party in the America Airlines arena, no huge headlines. You know, Dwayne and Chris come back. Dwayne brings a friend, something like that. I can imagine the Herald uh, headline reading something like that. And then all of a sudden you kind of start to wonder, well, what's the rest of this roster going to look like? Because at that point, also in 2010, remember, you bring in LeBron, Chris, and add Dwayne there, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, I don't, you could start my grandmother, and there's a good chance that you're going to win a lot of games. Of course, we were all proven incorrect when Eric Dampier really couldn't handle the Dallas Mavericks in, in the 2011 finals. Uh, a sore subject, I'm sure. But as far as this reality, LeBron goes elsewhere. Where does he go? Like the the number one odds favorite would probably be a, a chance to stay in Cleveland, but I think that relationship struggled uh, I, I, in 2010. I think it was a difficult place for him to be in. He had checked out somewhat mentally in the playoff series that same that previous year in 2009, 2010, and I, I think he was ready to move on to try something different. He wanted the hope of being able to be in a in a franchise that had proven that they could win a championship. I think the York in that scenario probably doesn't cut the mustard. I think you you look at you know, their coaching staff, their players at the time, whatever, and I don't think any of it really screamed legitimate contender, although they wound up having a pretty solid season overall with the addition of Amaro Stoudemire, who wound up playing at a, a you know all-NBA level. 
I don't think it necessarily would have been a contender. Maybe, again, you add LeBron James to the mix, and of course you're always going to get at least 10 wins better, but I don't know if he necessarily wanted to go there. I don't think they screamed the same kind of stability and championship-level uh, experience that Miami was preaching in 2010, throwing down the rings and the table and all that stuff. And given that, I think the next likely scenario is Cleveland, right? Maybe he goes to the Cleveland Cavaliers. He stays there and says, you know, this is my home. I'm a boy from Akron. I want to make sure that we rebuild something here. Puts pressure on that organization. Maybe the next four years, you know, we wind up not getting Dan Gilbert's Comic Sans letter. uh, You know, (laughs) a footnote in NBA history if there ever is one. And then... You know, maybe he, he puts pressure on them for the first time in his career to say, look, you need to do better. I, I could have been out the door. I could have been in Cleveland. I, mean, I could have been in Chicago. I could have been in New York. I could have been in Miami with my friend Dwayne. Now I'm back here. You need to retool this roster. And who knows what happens next? Of course, they don't draft Kyrie Irving because even with LeBron on the roster, you're gonna you're not going to draft. You know, you're not going to fall into the lottery. That's just the reality. You're always going to be guaranteed a playoff spot. If not, you know, being one of the top teams in the Eastern Conference, do they make a trade? Do they have salary cap space? Is Drunas Ilgoskis a free agent at that, you know, that season? Does he choose to follow his friend LeBron back uh, to Cleveland? More than likely he would. So they retool that roster a little bit. Maybe they strengthen their, their you know, overall depth. Maybe they have some more talent to complement LeBron. It's hard to see exactly how that plays out, right? Because they had already tried everything from – you know, Booby Gibson, I think, to uh, Shaquille O'Neal towards the tail end of his career. And, I mean, everything in between, you know, Danielle Marshall, Carlos Boozer. I mean, all these players, right? I'm, am I forgetting anybody? It just seems like they had this revolving door of players that they were trying to figure out how to mesh alongside LeBron James. And, and maybe, you know, maybe they make a change to the coaching staff. You know, the coaches are always the first to go whenever there's a new change. They commit to LeBron. They say, you know what? Maybe we didn't do this in 2003 when we drafted you. We had no idea what it took in order for us to reach that next level of of consistency, and now we know. We knew that you were looking at a team like Miami with stability, with depth, and everything else, with a a proven culture of winning, and we want to be able to duplicate that here in Cleveland. So we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll bring in a new coach, a better general manager, this, that, who knows. They tweak their roster. They win games. Maybe they go back to the NBA Finals again after a couple, you know, a couple of years after they had last threatened to go to the NBA Finals. Now they finally maybe have a chance to go there past the Eastern Conference. But then there's also the possibility of Chicago, a very realistic one, I think, with Tom Thibodeau there, with uh, a young player by the name of Derrick Rose, uh, you know, a couple guys there like Luol Deng, who had been part of that same recruiting class as LeBron James, just second to LeBron in overall talent. Uh, you know, they also had uh, Joakim Noah. They had some really nice a guy by the name of James Johnson on that roster. I had no idea he was on that 2010-2011 roster. They had former Heat player, rest in peace, Rasul Butler. Uh, you know, they had a few guys on there. Omer Ashik, who had wound up being on that roster. Former Heat player, Kurt Thomas. Brian Scalabrine, the white mama himself on there. Uh, Kyle Korver uh, early on in his career. So that was a pretty solid roster. They wound up adding... Carlos Boozer to the mix because they had salary cap space after LeBron James chose to go elsewhere. So maybe maybe the the script is flipped a little bit. Maybe Boozer comes to Miami to join Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade. And then all of a sudden you have this different lineup where Boozer plays the center position and then CB plays the, you know, well, 
not CB because you have Carlos Boozer. So maybe it's Bosch and Boozer. Maybe that's the headline there. Who knows how that works out? Maybe Boozer goes elsewhere, but uh, Carlos wound up joining. I thought he was coming to Miami, to be honest. I always thought he was going to be uh, a much more likely option for the Heat. I didn't realize the connection with, with Henry Thomas, uh, Dwayne Wade's former agent, and Chris Bosch's former agent, I, I think. I didn't realize that that was almost like a guaranteed package deal. I thought Carlos Boozer, who was training in Miami, he had been working out. But this is, remember, the early stages of Twitter, and there was no Woj bombs. There was no Shams. Nobody there kind of tweeting out what was going on. We weren't tracking planes like we were four years later. At this point in time, we were just kind of reading some tea leaves, whatever was available, and then you would read about it the next day in the newspaper. So to me, I thought... Carlos Boozer, who lived in Miami, had a home here, was training here. It seemed like a, a slam dunk for him to fit alongside Dwayne Wade there. That maybe they would have brought Udonis Haslam. He could have played some four or five alongside Boozer. Who knows? But they wound up getting Chris Bosh instead. Maybe if you add Boozer to that mix alongside CB, I, I think you might still be the favorites in the Eastern Conference. A retooled roster around Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, and Carlos Boozer. I mean, that's an interesting scenario. I mean, there's also the possibility, of course, that Boozer signs elsewhere. But I, I thought, again, it would have been a much more likely one. So let's assume then that in you know, the 2010 Bulls features Derrick Rose and LeBron James. That's that's a pretty good lineup there. I, I, don't know, I don't know how much they would have been able to win, but that's certainly something we'll debate in the next segment where I talk about whether or not Miami – would have been able to win as much as they wound up doing during the Big Three era with the addition of LeBron James. But let me tell you about a product we've been talking about lately, Sweat Block. Look, a lot of people have some profuse sweating problems. I know it can be problematic. I've got a friend who's a teacher. He doesn't want, you know, he feels uncomfortable because at some point midday, he's bound to sweat through his shirt. He doesn't want to look foolish in front of his students, so he brings his a change of shirt with him. This is so inconvenient for him. He recently purchased Sweatblock because I told him about it, and his life has changed. He's much more confident now. He doesn't have to worry about it anymore. It's doctor-created, doctor-recommended, and you've got a, a you know seven-day-per-use. If you apply Sweatblock, you get seven days of use out of it. It's got a dry shirt guarantee. If Sweatblock doesn't keep you dry, you get your money back. They've been featured on Amazon for the past 10 years with over 13,000 reviews manufactured right here in the USA. It's such a great product. I'm sure you'll appreciate it for yourself. If you've got a problem or you know somebody who does and wants to you know, do something about it, then Sweatblock is the right product for you. Again, you can find it on Amazon. You can find it at CVS. Or if you go to sweatblock.com right now, you can get 20% off, but only if you use the promo code LOCKEDON. So yeah, again, you can get it on Amazon or CVS, but if you go to sweatblock.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON, you get 20% off. Today, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all the entertainment you love without the hassle. Direct TV Stream brings you live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before, which means you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. And the best part? There's no annual contract. So stop waiting and get your TV together with Direct TV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. We're back talking about one of the greatest what-if possibilities in Miami Heat history. What if they wound up not signing LeBron James in 2010? What if LeBron had signed elsewhere? And right now, we're probably at a point where the most likely scenario is that LeBron, for some reason, 
would have gone to the Chicago Bulls. Maybe there was a strong connection there. Maybe the ability to play alongside, you know, a play for a coach like Tom Thibodeau, who I think has the respect of his players. I don't think there's any uh, denying that. Uh, you wind up having a pretty solid roster with Lou Waldang there. He slides to the three. Maybe he moves up to the four in order to accommodate a guy like LeBron James. You've also got Taj Gibson on the roster. You got Joachim Noah, who wind up becoming a, a you know a All Star level player there. Of course, Derrick Rose winds up winning MVP in 2011. That probably doesn't happen if LeBron doesn't you know if, if LeBron joins him in Chicago. So that's that's currently. The situation as we see it. Let's let's again for the sake of this argument, LeBron signs with the Chicago Bulls on July eighth. He says, "I'm coming to Chicago." The history of Michael Jordan, the player I've been chasing since the day I got into this league. I'm going to go to the Chicago Bulls and follow in that legacy. Everybody goes crazy. Heat fans somewhat disappointed, but you get a pretty good. You know, you manage to salvage the offseason because you get Dwayne back. You get add Chris Bosh to the mix. And potentially, in my theory, in this reality, you add Carlos Boozer to the mix. Does Miami automatically get a playoff berth? I think so. I think you know there are some questions about how you fill out the rest of the roster. Do you bring back Mario Chalmers? Uh, do you have to trade Michael Beasley in order to make that the, the acquisition? Probably a sign and trade. Uh, you know, Carlos Boozer instead of for LeBron James. I mean. Uh, Beasley was traded to the Minnesota Timberwolves in order to clear cap space back in 2010. So who knows how that plays out? Who knows if he still winds up going to Minnesota? Maybe he goes elsewhere. Maybe his career path takes a different route too. In 2010, however, now you're looking at a retooled roster in Miami of Bosch, Boozer, and Wade. That's pretty good, but it might not necessarily be the best roster in the Eastern Conference. We kind of overlooked the fact, look, the Chicago Bulls were able to win 62 games without LeBron James. That's pretty great. Again, Rose winning MVP that season, a pretty deep cast there. Maybe they don't have Boozer in this scenario, but I don't think he was necessarily the most essential player on that roster. The reality is they had a pretty good roster, some really good coaching. They were able to do some things defensively that a lot of teams hadn't done. But I think the the creme de la creme of the Eastern Conference was still the Boston Celtics. The door to the Eastern Conference finals still had to go through the garden. And I think everybody still had to look up to Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, Ray Allen, and that roster. And I think Miami's path would have been had to have gone through Boston. Look, they met Boston the year before that in the playoffs too. That didn't go well. They wound up crushing Dwayne Wade led Miami Heat and Jermaine O'Neal completely faltering in the playoffs. If I recall correctly, that was a, a bleak time there. So who knows? Maybe Boston has Miami's number. Maybe with the addition of Chris Bosch, does he wind up taking on the challenge of, of guarding Kevin Garnett? Does he wind up holding his own against KG? That's possible. We know about KG's uh, let's say his uh, his ability to psych you out, to keep chirping, keep jawing. Was it enough to really throw uh, Bosch off his game to some degree? Maybe. Maybe Carlos Boozer being more of a, an enforcer type. Maybe he just kind of punches Kevin Garnett in the face. Maybe between Boozer and Udonis, that's uh, a lot of depth there. Maybe who knows you can whether or not you might be able to challenge that front line there in Boston with Kendrick Perkins and things of that sort. It's an interesting possibility. And look... The Eastern Conference also had the Orlando Magic at that point. You know, there was Dwight Howard, Rashard Lewis, and others. That was Hedo Tukurkuglu. I mean, how could we forget him? Uh, that was a really good team, too. Remember, they had just been able to go to the NBA Finals and take on the Los Angeles Lakers. 
Of course, they wound up getting swept by the Lakers, but that's a whole other conversation. In any case, look, there were a lot of other contending teams in the Eastern Conference, and I think Miami would have been able to compete with them. It would have been a lot like what we're seeing now, I think, that even though there may have been a more clearly talented team in Chicago, although maybe maybe that conversation shifts a little bit because now it's still a LeBron-led team and Derrick Rose doesn't become the Derrick Rose that everybody admires and, and looks up to. Um, maybe you know they, his Derrick Rose stands on Twitter won't have youngest MVP in, in NBA history uh, to, to kind of talk about how great he was or how great he wasn't or whatever. You know, it's 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 an interesting conversation as to whether or not the perception of that Bulls team changes now that if you have LeBron James on that roster, does LeBron wind up becoming like this super defensive player the way he wound up becoming in Miami under Tom Thibodeau? More than likely, yes. Who knows what happens with Luol Deng? Maybe there's uh, the disease of more. Maybe that impacts there with a deep roster with Noah and others. Do they embrace? LeBron James, the way that Miami had to embrace LeBron James, that's a that's a good question to ask too. I, you know, it's still so interesting. I mean, what happens there? I, I like Miami's chances in this scenario where, you know, again, with an, another big three, theoretically, of Carlos Boozer, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh. You can probably challenge the Celtics, but I'd still have to give the Celtics some edge. I, look, Miami was a very good team in 2011 when they met the Boston Celtics in the playoffs, but they still needed LeBron to go supernova in order to be able to get past the hump of the Boston Celtics. That Celtics team, look, we can clown on Garnett for being a, an actress all we want. Paul Pierce, you know, shitting his pants and somewhere in the, at, at some point in the time in the playoffs and for all of his bad takes since then. But the reality is, on the court, they were dangerous. I mean... They were, they were one game away from knocking off Miami in the big three in that first year there and going to their third straight NBA Finals. I mean, or, well, three out of the past four years, they would have been able to go to the NBA Finals. It seemed like a very likely scenario there. Um, you know, again, even from this conversation, you know, how does that change the perception of the Boston Celtics, right? It, do, if they go to the Finals uh, yet another year, like – it doesn't take much for Boston Celtics fans to talk about that team and how great they were and everything else, but with another finals run under their belt, on their resume, it probably changes a lot. Maybe maybe Derrick Rose you know, doesn't get hurt because he doesn't have to carry the load quite as much. Impossible to say, obviously. It's not like any one play. Well, maybe it was just one play that caused his injury there, although, it's again, I'm, I'm not a medical expert and, and hardly – pretend to be one so uh, who knows how that career would have been different maybe with LeBron carrying the load maybe you don't necessarily have to put yourself in the position he did when he got hurt in the first place uh you know from Dwayne Wade what happens then look there are individual legacies that I want to talk about in an upcoming episode but for now I will kind of stick to it uh, along these lines I think Miami would have been able to put themselves in contention for a title within the next four years, the four years that they wind up actually having LeBron James on the roster, but they certainly weren't a guarantee to get to the finals. Who knows how once that first, you know, once that first domino falls in Miami, does Pat Riley continue to tweak the the roster to some degree? If he gets frustrated with both Boozer and Bosch being somewhat undersized, uh, maybe he trades one of them in order to get a more traditional center. What if, what if they trade Bosch to Orlando in exchange for Dwight Howard when the whole Dwight Mayor takes place? You know, free him from that from Orlando 
and then wind up moving either Bosch or Boozer in exchange for uh, for Dwight Howard. Oh, that would have been a very distasteful team to cover. In any case, uh, it's an interesting scenario. I don't think they would have won nearly as much. They would have won because, well, I mean, it was a well-coached team. Who knows how the rest of the roster would have been filled out. But it, it's certainly a possibility that they would have contended for a title. But they would have had to have gone up against, you know, the, the, the top four or the top few teams in the Western Conference had they been able to somehow to get past the the, the Celtics, to get past the Bulls with LeBron James, to get past uh, Dwight Howard and the Orlando Magic, maybe even an up-and-coming Knicks team. Who knows how those things play out? An Indiana team that was waiting in the wings there with, with Danny Granger and, and Paul George and others. Would Miami have been able to, to withstand that? Had they been able to do so, how would they have fared against a young Oklahoma City team? Or a Los Angeles Clippers team with uh, you know Blake Griffin early on in his career. How would they have been able to tackle uh, you know any of those Western Conference teams? The San Antonio Spurs would they have come back and retooled themselves into that juggernaut that Miami faced in the 2014 NBA Finals? Hard to tell. Hard to tell how the, the, that tail end of Tim Duncan's career would have played out had they not been able to go up against Miami in the finals. More than likely, they would have been able to knock off any team from the East other than Miami in 2013 because I think the Spurs were just that good and they wound up somehow getting even better in 2014. But that's a that's a whole conversation that I will not get into now. That's best served for locked on the Spurs. However, there are some ramifications of this potential scenario and how Miami and the perception of this team and franchise changes without the addition of LeBron James. And I'll talk about that in the next segment. But first, a reminder that Built Bar is still the best tasting protein bar I've ever had. Built Bar has so many delicious flavors. You can try them all from coconut to mint brownie to salted caramel, orange, cookies and cream. You can get a mixed box where you can get two of each of the nine flavors available. They have all the nutrients you're looking for. They fit so many different diets. They're 100% soft and easy to chew and covered in chocolate. And if you order today, you can get your choice of any of them. You can get a box of grasshopper cookie or raspberry or whatever you like. Go to Built.com, use the promo code LOCK15, and you get 15% off your order. Use the promo code LOCK15. For 15% off a mixed box or any kind of box you want, but only if you go to Built.com. It's that time of year again and all eyes are now turning to football as teams are back on the gridiron to start the football season. As always, BetOnline is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. Get all the updated odds, props, and contests including online's biggest half million dollar NFL mega contest and the world's largest 200,000 NFL survivor contest open now at BetOnline. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 100% welcome bonus. Be sure to take advantage of the opening day super promo. Make a bet on the Thursday, September 9th season opener between the Super Bowl champ, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and the Dallas Cowboys. And if you lose, your wager will be refunded up to $25 for new customers only when signing up and using the promo code NFL 100. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports, from football to basketball to boxing to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait. Take advantage of all the great offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts, and don't forget to use the promo code Locked On. All the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with the Locked On Today podcast. 
Host Peter Burkowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get podcasts. Continuing our discussion here on one of the greatest what-if scenarios in Miami Heat franchise history, what if LeBron James had signed elsewhere? So again, to recap, LeBron, now a member of the Chicago Bulls, Miami's retooled roster, including Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh, now adds Carlos Boozer to the mix, potentially. And what happens then? Well, that's, you know, again, as I said in the last segment, they might not have won a, a title. Probably would not have. I don't think they would have been good enough to contend against the Spurs or the Thunder or maybe even some of those great Clippers teams that we saw during the aughts with Chris Paul, etc. It would have been a very interesting, almost-ran team. I think that's kind of the the most likely scenario here is that a lot of fans would gravitate towards that heat. They They wouldn't be as widely despised, I think. I don't think a lot of people would have seen the heat in the same way because... You know, they, they hadn't poached LeBron James. They had just played free agency the quote-unquote right way. So I don't think a lot of people would have been as upset about how it wound up playing out. And I think Miami would have still been not necessarily a media darling or anything like that, but they wouldn't have been as widely reviled as they were back in 2010 when everybody hated this franchise and, you know, how dirty they were for you know, gaming the system the way they did to do exactly what the system is set up to do. So whatever. But maybe that perception would have changed. Uh, The perception of Pat Riley, I think, certainly would have been different, right? That legacy as the quote-unquote godfather, I don't think it would have taken place. Like, I I think in 2010, Heat fans, you know, certainly uh, would have promoted the idea of – certainly did promote the idea of Riley the godfather. But I don't think that would have been as likely – had he just come across with Dwayne, CB, and, and Carlos Boozer? Like, I mean, being able to secure LeBron James, again, look, the legend of throwing down the rings on the table and all that crap. I mean, look, it, it makes for great stories, which I absolutely love, but I don't know how much of that really influenced LeBron James' decision. Maybe it was just kind of like a cool thing to see because Pat Riley is still Pat Riley, and I think he certainly would have gone – that reputation certainly would have persevered to some degree – I just don't think that he would have been viewed or deified to the same level that he has been. Look, I mean, let's be honest. Pat Riley had some critics back in 2009, 2010, before the Big Three formation. You know, when he when he left the team in 2008, everybody was criticizing him for, for giving up on the team. I mean, they made those same criticisms of him back in 2003 when he walked away. He hadn't exactly rebuilt after Shaquille O'Neal. It was a great move that he was able to pull off in 2004, but... You know, people forget very easily your last success unless there's a new one waiting on the horizon. And and, uh, it didn't seem very likely for Miami that they were going to be winning much in 2010 until they formed the Big Three. That helped certainly cement his well-earned reputation as one of the best GMs in the league. But that probably wouldn't have continued had he just wound up securing, again, Carlos Boozer instead of LeBron James. So, you know, as an almost ran in NBA history, that's an interesting scenario because I think some of those teams are – well, they kind of carve a special place in, in NBA fans' hearts, right? Like, look, I mean, look at those Clippers teams that I was talking about. I think everybody's going to remember them uh, for their failures and the fact that they were this close, that they were just incredibly talented and somehow not able to secure a championship. That 2012 Oklahoma City Thunder, I, I mean, look at that. The, the fact that they had three 
future MVPs on that roster at that time. And, and not to mention Serge Ibaka, Kendrick Perkins, and other players that just really added to that depth. I mean, they had a really, really good squad for a number of years, but couldn't get it done. Of course, they traded James Harden. They wound up having Steven Adams there. Just a lot of things went differently for that roster. And, and yet, still, I think, remembered by a lot of people as one of the most interesting what-if teams in NBA history, I mean, you look at Pat Riley's Knicks, you look at the Indiana Pacers from a couple of years ago, and not to mention that, but just also from you know the, the, the 90s going up against Jordan and everybody else, the fact that they wound up falling short so often because they were going up against Michael Jordan. You know, the almost-ran teams for Miami, if they had been able to fall into this category as an almost-ran team, it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just, well, they just don't have the, the luxury of looking up at the rafters in America Airlines Arena seeing multiple banners there. I don't think the Heat would have had the same reputation of being a destination city, not like the way it has enjoyed for the last, I don't know, 11 years. It doesn't make sense, but it's the byproduct of LeBron, the best player in the NBA, choosing to come to Miami that all of a sudden the reputation of Miami as a quote-unquote destination city kind of takes place. It's like, oh, of course we can get anybody here because you know, we're Miami, and that's just the way it is. We got LeBron James. Well, if LeBron doesn't come in 2010, I don't think it still enjoys that reputation. I think it's a city where people want to play, but maybe it's not viewed as a major market or a big market team, which it certainly isn't. Like, in terms of pure market, Miami is not a big market team. And yes, they've enjoyed some success, but they they have the same chances of success as Orlando uh, you know you know that same city in a state that does not have income tax I think if you're prioritizing that then and you don't wind up benefiting all that much from it as we've talked about before in this show I think you, you could go to Orlando just as likely but Orlando happens to be a team that has been historically not that good you know I, I think they just have struggled a lot and certainly they struggled a lot after they traded away. Dwight Howard, but I think from Miami's perspective, or, or I'm sorry, from the national perspective, I don't think Miami would have viewed as this premier destination, right? I, I think the Knicks probably still would have enjoyed that reputation to some degree. The Lakers certainly would have enjoyed it. And look, it's not that long ago. Like, we're talking now in 2021, and we're seeing all these older veterans go and join LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Now, four years ago, they they botched a stupid meeting with LaMarcus Aldridge. And LaMarcus was like, mm, you know, thanks, but no thanks. And that's LaMarcus Aldridge. Not a knock on LMA here. I think LA is a great player. I think he's, he's, he's you know, a, a good person, a good dude to talk to. And at the same time, he like, it was kind of embarrassing for the Lakers franchise. And since then, of course, they've won their title and everything else. And now they're feeling cocky. Everybody forgets what a crappy roster that was. They weren't able, you know, with Kurt Rambis, uh, on the sidelines there, and uh, oh gosh, oh, oh, I forgot all the the coaches. The coaching turnover in Los Angeles was pretty ridiculous there. But look, it, it, a a franchise is made by the players. That's just the reality. You that's what you need. You need to have great players there. You need to show on a national scale that great players want to come to your team and build something there. And and we'll see. We'll see how it all would have played out differently. Uh, I think the the pattern on a national level too of building rosters around stars would have been a little different. Like, I don't think there would have been as much quote-unquote ring chasing. Like, that's not to say that this didn't happen throughout other eras in NBA history, although it didn't seem as prevalent. Like, even watching the the 90s Bulls closely, I don't think anybody was really joining those Bulls teams 
as the 12th man on that roster going, oh, well, I'm a guaranteed trip to the NBA Finals because Michael Jordan's on his roster. I know that happened, but it wasn't, you know, it was more about filling out the roster. The salary cap was different. There wasn't as much player movement. I, I think, you know, you, big name players like Jordan were going to get their money, but other players toward the tail end of the roster, they weren't going to get their money. And so I think they were w- less willing to sacrifice some of that guaranteed money to go to, you know, a contending team just for a, a chance to win a ring. It was like, no, no, I could still go make $5 million in Milwaukee. I'm not going to go sacrifice that $5 million to play for Jordan and, 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 you know, take a chance at a ring as nice as that ring was. And look, that's another part of it too. Like nobody gave a damn about the rings argument until Michael Jordan made it the argument. Like that wasn't the conversation, you know, the idea of in back in the nineties with the Chicago bulls, it was like now, now with Jordan in particular, it's like, yeah, but you, you haven't won anything. Why? Because I've won everything because I am the greatest champion in NBA history, or at least the nineties, of course, and we're kind of forgetting about Bill Russell, but you know, that's the different conversation there is that nobody had to, nobody prioritized, the ring and the pursuit of the ring as much until after Jordan retired uh, the second time after he retired. Because, you know, obviously there was the first retirement in 93 and then the, the third retirement after the Wizards. Again, something that nobody talks about. But I think the prioritizing of the ring didn't really become something until then, like until he retired again. And then, you know, once Kobe kind of took over that mantle and he became the players like, yeah, five rings, whatever. And then, I, I don't know, the conversation about ring chasing didn't really feel as prevalent until after Jordan took place there. So I wonder whether or not players would have continued to do what they did in Miami during the Big Three era, which is, you know, be a veteran, take less money, and get a chance to compete for a title. I don't think we would have seen as much of it. You know, there's other questions. You know, what would have happened with San Antonio, Atlanta, Golden State? Would they have continued the evolution uh, that the NBA kind of started with Miami as the new standard. I mean, look, they were one of the creators, not the creators, they were one of the, the teams at the forefront of the small ball movement. I think that's fair. Look, this small ball, the idea of small ball, had been going on for quite a long time. Just, you know, To some degree, I think the reality was that still you needed to win with the center, but that time was changing. You know, Shaquille O'Neal was getting older. Dwight Howard... I don't know how effective he would have been in the 90s going up against guys like Shaq and Zoe and Patrick Ewing and others, David Robinson, Hakeem Olajuwon, and on and on. Like He, he was somewhat limited athletically. Explosive, but uh, I, as far as his repertoire offensively, he didn't really have much of a bag to choose from. So I wonder how much the small ball, the small ball movement would have continued to evolve the way it did with Chris Bosh and things of that sort. It's an interesting question. Look, there's so many different scenarios. And again, I want to talk a little bit later on about how some individuals in Miami Heat history would have had a different reputation, a different legacy without LeBron signing here because uh, this is kind of feels like part one of a two-part conversation. I went a little bit longer than I expected because, again, you can kind of go down this rabbit hole of thought and really, really, really get lost in here. It's a very interesting conversation, one that I've always enjoyed having, and I hope you have too. Just a reminder that you can always reach me via email at LockedOnHeat at gmail.com or via Twitter using the hashtag AskLHeat. Be sure to please follow the show and leave a review. Special thanks to all of our sponsors for supporting today's show, and thanks most of all to you. This is David Ramil signing off for now. Mm-hmm.